So when we stopped, we were looking at Solomon, weren't we? Uh, we were looking at Solomon, wise leader, uh, was attributed as being the wisest man who ever lived. And uh, when we stopped, we were looking at 1 Kings chapter 4, uh, verses 29 to 34. Uh, could we have someone read that passage again, please? 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29 to 34. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much, and largeness of heart, even as the sand is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country, and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Hezrahite, and Heman, and Chalcol, and Darda the sons of Nabal. And his fame was in all nations round about. And he spake three thousand proverbs, and his songs were a thousand and five. And he spake of trees, of the cedar tree that's in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop, that spring down the wall. He spake also of beasts, and of fowl, and of creeping things, and of fishes, and there came of all people, to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all kings of the earth, which have heard his wisdom. Okay, so uh, we know here that God, the wisdom that Solomon had, he got it from God. And, uh, he, and of course, he gave God the glory for the wisdom that he got because he knew it wasn't from himself. We need to be leery of individuals who talk about what they know, the knowledge they have, and don't mention God at all. And we have many people like that in our land today. Those are the persons that we need to be cautious about listening to or taking advice from. Solomon got his wisdom from God. And the Bible reminds us in this passage that his knowledge was vast, more so than the sands on the seashore. And you know we can't, can't count the sands on the seashore. That's how, that's how vast in, in magnitude was the wisdom of Saul. And he goes on to explain uh, that there were people who were, had been attributed as being wise, and a lot of people talked about him a lot. Boy, that's a wise fellow. Boy, he's so smart, and he's so this, and he's so that. But he reminds us that Solomon was smarter than even those people, and he calls them by name uh, because these persons were singled out as being wise people. Whenever people talk about wisdom, their names always came up, and so God wanted us to know that those people they failed, fade into comparison, into insignificance when it comes to standing up. Uh, to Solomon and his wisdom. And then it talks about the fame that he had. Uh, he was famous all over the world. Whenever his name was mentioned, the other thought that came to mind was wisdom. His name became synonymous with wisdom. And uh, all the surrounding nations, and, and, and talks about how many proverbs he wrote. And you gotta, you gotta, uh, you know, compare this to people who talk about how many books they have written. Okay, you know, people who talk about they've written so many books. Well, Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs. He kept on going. Not only proverbs, but a thousand and five songs. And then he could speak with authority on any particular subject you could think of. Boy, now that's wisdom, isn't it? You know, we know some people who, who are, uh, can speak with authority on some things. They're well versed in some things. Our brother Cliff is well worse in the shipping. Okay, you could talk to him and he could run circles around you when it comes to talking about shipping. Okay, Albert could run circles around you when it comes to talking about air conditioning and that sort of stuff. Well, 
Solomon could speak with authority on just about anything. Now that's wisdom. That's being smart. Okay, and he talks about, he says he can, uh, he can speak with authority on all kinds of plants. You know, there's some people who can, you can talk to and man, they can tell you what this plant can do and what that plant can do for your health and you boil this with that and you boil this with the next. I remember I went to Cat Island one time and this fellow, uh, had these, um, this fellow did, did, did farming and he had all these, these plants that he put together and he boiled it down and he said, man, that can cure this and that and the next. And uh, he, gave, he used to boil it and put it in these big jars and give it to people and, and it worked. You know, he knew his plants. He knew his stuff. Right? Uh, but uh, Solomon could speak with authority on all kinds of plants. There's no plant that you could mention that he, he, did not, he could not speak with authority on. And this is a result of the wisdom. From the big cedar of Lebanon to the tiny little up that grew in the little cracks. He could speak with authority and all that stuff. And then he could speak about animals. Okay, some people are, are zoologists, you know, and they could talk about animals and what this animal is capable of and the character of this one and the next one. Solomon could do all of that. Okay, he could speak about animals, from the small birds, the small creatures, the fish and the sea. And as a result of this, he became so famous that many of the kings of every nation would send their ambassadors to get wisdom from Solomon. He says, listen, you, you know, we have a little problem in our, problem in our country with the zoo. The animals, uh, they're, they're, they're misbehaving and we don't know what's causing them to behave the way they're behaving. You know, why don't you uh, go to Solomon and let him give you some advice? Stuff like that. Okay, poison that problem with farming. This thing is supposed to grow and it's not growing, but it's supposed to grow. Go talk to Solomon. Go listen to Solomon. He can give you some advice. And this is the kind of thing that, that Solomon became famous for. And the kings and of every nation, the Bible says, kings of every single nation sent their ambassadors. And you know what that, that, that resulted in? Whenever a king sent anybody to anybody, they never sent them empty-handed. Never. And remember when God said to Solomon, you know, you know, you ask for wisdom, but I'm going to give you more than wisdom? I'm going to give you riches and wealth? Well, that's how some of his riches and wealth came. It came because the people of the world recognized him as wise, and when they sent people to him, they didn't send him empty-handed. They sent him loaded down with all kinds of gifts. And he became extremely wealthy. And the Bible says that he was the wealthiest man who ever lived. There was nobody before him and nobody after him. Okay, so that gives us just a little inkling and an idea of how profitable the application of wisdom can be. Now notice I said the application, not just knowing it. Okay, the application of wisdom can be. Because the only way wisdom can be helpful is by putting it into action. You can have all the wisdom in the world. And if you're not applying it, it doesn't mean anything. It will not result in anything. And so we see with Solomon, he applied his wisdom. And what did it get him? He became the richest man in the world. People came there with all... He, he didn't have the place to hold all the stuff that people brought. He had to build more warehouses and stables and, and all kinds of stuff to store all the stuff. But that's just one idea what wisdom can provide. Solomon had enough sense early in his life to know that he needed wisdom. Okay, he learned that early 
in life. As a young man, as a teenager, he learned that he needed wisdom because he had, ruling God's people was a big job. However, by the time he asked God for wisdom to rule his kingdom, he had already had a habit that would make his wisdom unproductive in his personal life. In other words, he had already developed a bad habit. What was that habit? He married Pharaoh's daughter to seal a deal with Egypt. That's how he started his mistakes. You see, he realized that if he had peace, in order to have peace, he needed to get closer with the kings and the rulers. And so what he decided to do uh, was to marry uh, the, the daughters of all these rulers so that the rulers wouldn't go to war with him. And of his 300 wives he had married for political reasons, uh, the, uh, Pharaoh's daughter was the first one. He started off with Pharaoh's daughter. Not only did Solomon go against the last piece of advice his father gave him, but he also went directly against God's commands. He did. What he did is a constant reminder of how easy it is to know what is right and still not do it. That's very, very easy. You know, there are a lot of people around us who know what the laws are of the land. But do they always obey them? <laughs> you know, people know that, you know, running the red light is breaking the law. But that doesn't stop them. still run the red light. Okay, so this tells us, this, this is a reminder. Solomon's life is a reminder that it's easy to know what to do and still not do it. And so it's obvious that the gift of Solomon, gift of wisdom Solomon, God gave to Solomon, didn't mean that he was unable of making mistakes. Not because you have wisdom means that you won't make mistakes. The application of that wisdom uh, helps you not to make mistakes. And so he was given a vast potential as king of God's chosen people. But it came also with vast responsibility. Okay, a lot of times people have vast potential. But they don't realize the responsibility that comes with that potential. And so he ignored the responsibilities. He chose to pursue the potential of what his wisdom was capable of giving him and getting him. But he rejected or he ignored the responsibilities that came along with that wisdom. And that ignoring the responsibilities was involved, in, included marrying all those women. Not only did he have 300 wives, but the scriptures also tells us that he had 700 concubines. And we know what a concubine was, right? Yes. It's a mistress, right? In the Bahamas we call them sweethearts or girlfriends. Okay, well he had 700 of those. So it tells us that he didn't learn. He did not apply his wisdom accurately. Now we don't know why he had more sweethearts than he had wives. We don't know that. Okay, uh, but I guess that's typical of what we see happening in our, in our world today. Okay, a man marries one woman, but that one wife is not enough. And so he has three, four, five, six sweethearts or mistresses. I guess the politically correct term is, is mistress, right? Okay, and the Bahamas is sweetheart. Alright, we don't know why he did that, but we do know that it was not a wise thing to do. So even though he was the wisest man in the, in the world, he still didn't apply his wisdom correctly. And so he, uh, although he had become well known as the builder of the temple and, and the palace, he also became notorious as a leader who overtaxed and overworked his people. Now, you, you wonder, 
why would he overtax the man who's wealthy? I mean, people were bringing him money and wealth. What did he, why did he need to overtax his people? Why? That's a mystery. We probably won't understand that one until we get to heaven. But, uh, you know, you know, it blows my mind. I don't understand why. He couldn't say it was to maintain the lifestyle that he had because all the wealth that was coming in was, was sufficient to do that. So we don't know why. Why he overtaxed his people and why he overworked his own people. Okay, he worked those people into the ground. And of course, that was a fulfillment of what God said would happen when the people chose to, to have a king like all the other people. Remember, God says, you know, if you get a king, your children ain't going to be yours no more. Uh, they're going to be the king's children. He's going to use them. Uh, he's going to overtax them. Not only he's going to overwork them. Okay, they're going to be into all his stuff. And, uh, and so this was actually a fulfillment of that. And this wise king had visitors from faraway lands come to admire him. Just to look at this man and say, boy, let me see what a man, who's the wisest man all the world look like. And so they came to admire him. While he, slowly but surely, while all these people came to admire him, he slowly but surely alienated his own people from him. Hardly anything is mentioned in scripture about Solomon's last decade of reign. Well, all, a lot of what we read and what we see in the scriptures about his early years, his middle years, hardly nothing is said about his last years. His last reflections on life is most likely recorded in the book of Ecclesiastes, which we also study. And uh, the book records a man in a vain pursuit, in a vain pursuit to prove how bitter, uh, proving how bitter life can be trying to find meaning in life without God. And that's what the whole book of Ecclesiastes teaches, teaches us. Okay, it's, 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 hopeless to try to pursue a meaningful life without God. A personal relationship with God is the only way to find safety, not only safety, but true satisfaction in life. You will find that there are many people who have more wealth than they could ever spend during their lifetime. But many of them are still unhappy. Why? Because they do not have a personal relationship with God. I heard a football player on television yesterday, yesterday or the day before, uh, talking about all this uproar in, in Ferguson uh, over this young man that, that got killed. And, um, and he, he, he wrote something. He said he was always writing. One time his wife went to the store to buy some stuff for the homeless and he was sitting in the car waiting for her. And he decided to write. And uh, what he wrote was that the problem that a lot of people have is that they do not have Jesus in their lives. You know, and it was kind of stunning to hear that coming from uh, a football player. And all the news people were, were you know, interviewing him and, and talking to him. And, and he says the problem in, in people is that there's sin in them. And the sin in them is what caused them to do all the things, the bad things that they do. And what they really need more than anything else is to have Jesus Christ. And boy, it was refreshing to hear that. It was really refreshing to hear that. Uh, but we, we, you know, we, we, in talking about that, that, um, that incident, you know, uh, the parents, if I were those parents, I'd run and hide. Because that boy was a thug. He was a thug. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't justify the way he lost his life, but he lost his life because he was a thug. 
And you know, the Bible isn't, doesn't mix words. As you live, so shall you die. That boy died because of the life that he lived. You know, and I, I don't hear anybody talking about, you know, what kind of thug he was. You know, he, he used his size to be a bully, is what he did. I don't know if many of you saw the video when he went to the store and he grabbed up the, 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 the items off the shelf and when the, 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 the store owner came, he grabbed him by his shoulder and shoved him off like a piece of tort rag. He was a thug and he walked out without paying for the stuff. And then the police officer stopped him and said, you know, you know, you, you walk in the middle of the road, you're obstructing traffic. Oh yeah, what you could do about that? You know, the police was doing his job. But I don't hear anybody talking about that. Just a view. Okay, I, I haven't heard anybody, really, I haven't heard anybody talk about this boy was a thug and he, you know, he, he, he brought all this on himself. You know, he was, he was a criminal. What people are saying, most people, when I heard speak about it, hmm. that in spite of him doing all that, they don't feel like it should go on down like that. Well, he attacked the police well, officer. The police okay, officer. you know, one of the things in India learned from this fellow is that he disregarded law and order. That's what he did. If he, if his parents had taught him to obey and to respect the law, he would not have reacted that way that he did. To the police officer, when he says, you know, you walk in the middle of the street, you're obstructing traffic, and he's going to approach the man because he's so bigger than the fella, and try to fight the fella, and take his gun, to shoot him with his own gun. He was a thug. But I don't understand why have to be a black-white issue. So it's not. <laughs> yeah, that's not They made it that way. They made it that way. Black-white issue. I mean, if the same thing had happened to a white person, that wouldn't even make the news. No, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. But you see, you've got a lot of opportunity. You've got a lot of opportunists. Okay, and they look people. They're opportunists who look at situations like that to continue to raise the ugly race issue. It's not a race issue. It's a matter of law and order. That's what it is. A, a criminal who do not want to obey the law and the police officer did what he was supposed to do. If he hadn't done it, he probably would have been dead. Because if you're a police officer and something is going down in a black area, you must just drive by then and just let people kill each other. No matter what you do. You're damned if you I'm do and you're damned if you don't. I'm sure other white police officers in the future, they're not going to go into a black area and let whoever them do whatever they want to do. People, you know, if it's a minority area, mm -hmm. Hispanic or black or yeah. If you're a white police officer that's just telling you, don't go because you might be in trouble even if you try yeah. to help. It'll always be a race issue. It's a funny, it's weird. Yeah. And I don't think that's ever going to be solved in that situation because there's still uprising. Yeah. That's right. I have a good joke to tell you. Yes. He lives in the States. He is a sea captain and he deals with everybody. Mm -hmm. And he says at breakfast time to the table, he says that you know, some of the people that he deals with is from the New Jersey area and they are Irish. Irish Jews, and every time they pour coffee into the, in the, in the cup, they start cussing. Why in the hell do they make white, white coffee? Why do they have to drink? Why don't you put black coffee in a white cup? Yeah. <laughs> I never knew there was any Irish Jews in the first place. No matter where you go, there's an issue. There's an issue. Okay, so the point is, if you're going to have safety and satisfaction, 
The best thing to have is a relationship with Lord Jesus Christ. But let's look at Solomon's failings and his faults. We have already mentioned some of them, but just to highlight, he was successful in sealing numerous foreign agreements by marrying pagan women. Okay, that's how he made all these, these treaties, and that's how he maintained peace. He married persons who would be potential enemies. And that way, that eliminated those persons as enemies. Okay, he allowed his loyalty to God to be hindered by his ungodly wives. Now, remember now, many of the women that, that, that uh, Solomon married worshipped pagan gods. Alright, so in order for him to have peace, and remember we read all those, those, those passages about having peace, being in the, in the house with a woman and having peace? Well, he wrote that from experience. Okay, because he knew that if he didn't uh, worship this, this wife God, this one of his wife's gods, then he ain't have no peace in that house. Okay, if he don't do something, if he don't build her a shrine to her God, he ain't have no peace. Peace? He can be no peace in that house. And that's why you hear him talking about in the Proverbs, but that it's better to live in the attic than in a house with a grumpy wife or a miserable woman or, and he, he mentioned that over, that, that's where it came from. Okay? He had to, he had to give in and worship or do something to appease these wives with the gods that they had. And so he allowed his loyalty to God to be hindered by the pagan wives and the gods that they worshipped. Uh, and probably more, more, more his wives than the sweethearts. Uh, he heavily taxes people. Okay, again, you know, we don't know why he would have done something like that because people were bringing him all kinds of wealth. And then he drafted his people into military and also subjected them to forced labor. Now, even though he had a, a reign that was peaceful, he still had a military. We don't understand that one either. Okay? If he's making all these treaties with all these people so that he won't have to go to war, but I guess as a king he had to maintain a military. And that's probably one but he drafted his people into the military and he subjected them to hard labor. Those are some of his failings and his faults. As a person who was the wisest man who ever lived. Okay? Now if he's the wisest man who ever lived and he can make those kind of failings and faults, what about us? Okay, that's why it's so important for us to see the word of God for what it is and apply it, the wisdom to our lives. But then what about his success? He did have some strengths and he did have some successes. And here are some of them. He was David's chosen heir and Israel's third king. Okay, that was a no misnomer. That was a no-brainer. Okay, uh, he was the wisest man who ever lived. No one was wiser before him or after him. Uh, he was a prolific writer. We know that because of the 3,000 proverbs that he wrote and the 105 songs that he wrote. And he authored Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, many of the proverbs, and some of the Psalms. So we have all of those writings from him, his excesses, because of the kind of person, but how he applied his wisdom. And then he was a, he was a contractor. He was a building contractor, okay, who built God's temple in Jerusalem. Magnificent temple. Okay, so he used his wisdom in that particular area as well. And we mentioned one of the other persons who, who, uh, who was called wise was Bezalel, who God used in the, in the, the designing and of the, the instruments and on different parts of the, te of the temple. But then also, including his successes, 
was he was a he was a diplomat, and uh, we know that from all the treaties that he signed, even though they were not wise to do so. He was a diplomat. He was a collector. Uh, when we read through the scriptures uh, that talk about him, uh, the recorders' life, you'll find that he collected a lot of different kinds of animals. Um, uh, he had all kinds of every kind of animal that you could think of. He probably, when he heard about a particular animal, he, he got them, he bought them, he collected them. Uh, so he was a collector. And uh, he was a trader. He got some of the stuff that he had by trading with others. And uh, so he was a good trader. And he was a benefactor of the arts. Uh, he loved the arts and he appreciated the arts. And uh, that is exhibited in his life. And all of that uh, was a part of the wisdom that he had. So what then does his life teach us? What do we learn from the life of this man who was the wisest man who ever lived and who was the wealthiest man who ever lived? Well, one of the things that we learn is that an unsuccessful personal life can cancel out successful leadership. An unsuccessful personal life can cancel out effective or successful leadership. Okay, so we need to be cautious then how we live our personal lives because it could perfect, it could affect our professional lives. Or to put another way, we need to be careful how we manage our personal lives because it could affect our business lives or what we do in terms of uh, making a living. And we see this, one of the things that Solomon, we taught, is taught in Solomon's life. Uh, one of the other things we learn is that failing to obey God early in life can be a hindrance to learning, uh, to learning the lesson of repentance later in life. So if you fail to obey God early, you're going to have a problem with, the, with repentance later. Okay? If your present situation is of disobedience, your later problem is going to be repentance. You're going to fail to exercise repentance later. In other words, you're going to become hardened. You're going to become calloused. Right? And things that are done wrong is not going to affect you in the way that it would have in your earlier life. So repentance will be affected. You will find that there are some things that you've done that are wrong. And you say, man, I don't need to repent. Repent for what? And you have people like that today. Simply because of their failing to obey earlier in life. That's why you have so many uh, hardened criminals today. Okay? They weren't raised properly, so they grew up in a life of crime, not respecting people or property or the law or anything. And when they got older, that magnified. Alright? So what would affect, some people wouldn't even phase them. Okay, and you would look at a person and say, well, how could he do such a thing? Notice how crimes are becoming more gruesome? That's one of the reasons why. Because when people are early in life, they do something and it doesn't affect them, nothing's wrong with that. They don't, they don't, they don't receive the punishment that is deserving of the act that they committed. And so they go on and they do even worse things. Worse and worse and worse. And, um, and we see that. Uh, the, 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 the message I preached on Sunday was that in the last days... Uh, the wicked will get wickeder. Okay? And they won't understand. Many people won't understand why the wicked get wickeder. Okay? But that's scripture. That's what the Bible teaches. But the wise, those persons who understand what the word of God teaches, will understand why they get wickeder and wickeder. The Bible teaches that. That's the way it's going to be. If you don't, if you fail to obey early in life, later in life you're going to have a problem with repentance. We as children of God 
who understand the word of God and the wisdom of God, we know that. And so when all these crimes begin to escalate, and people are doing things that are worse, and now the Privy Council is saying they're not going to—they can—they're not going to sign off on, on any death penalty uh, because of this worst of the worst. You know what? There's never going to be a, a case that they're going to see as the worst of the worst. Never, because first of all, they're against capital punishment, so they're going to continue to move the barrier. They're going to continue. When, whenever there's a case that comes up that's worse than the worst, they can say, no, mm, no, that's not really worse than the worst. It's got to be worse than that. And the, the case that they decided that on was a guy who raped a girl, killed her, smashed her in with the head, with the, the car over. Burned, I mean, no, hmm? Burned. Burned the body and everything. Now, how much worse can it get than that? Yeah. Okay. Pastor, uh, before you go too far mm -hmm. on that subject, I saw a couple of weeks ago with the Privy Council in London, they showed them and they interviewed them on the BBC. Mm -hmm. I will put it very mildly. They were well dressed packets. <laughs> <laughs> all of them are. Yes, five of them. Mm, all of them are. And then that's that's part of the problem. Yes. And they do not believe in they do not believe in capital punishment. They don't believe in any any punishment at all. No. But you see, that's our highest court for us in the land. Exactly. And that's a problem. Be I, right. saw, I saw in Piper's Leaf there'd be no more hanging. Right. Right. Yeah, um, um, Paul McQueenie talked about that in the article. There was a judge, there was a case before the appeals court, and they were talking about the impact the Privy Council's ruling has on death penalty cases in the Bahamas and the judge, it was not a ruling or anything, it was just a statement that the judge made that, you know, based on the Privy Council's position, there'd be no more hanging in the Bahamas. So he came in, out and he, he tried to clarify that. He said the only way that that can change is if we have a referendum and the people decide what specifically, what characterize the worst of the worst. And so actually the people will have to go, people will have to decide on uh, tying the hands of the Privy Council. Okay, that's what he's, what he's talking about in response to that. So in order for, for us to be able to do hanging in this country, there's going to have to be a referendum to change what's law, the laws that are on the books now, to clarify what the worst of the worst is. Because unless that changes, the Privy Council is going to continue to do what they've been doing. Because can't, can't the criminal, if he's sentenced here to be hanged, can't he appeal then to the Privy Council? That's what they've been doing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's what they do. You see, when, once they once they are sentenced here, right. uh, the judge can sentence them here. Yeah. But their judge is going to appeal and they're going to take it to the Privy Council. And the Privy Council says, no, that's not the worst of the worst. You can't hang him. So he doesn't get hanged. Foxhill prison gets filled up. Well, no. Well, if they, if they do a referendum, the referendum will be a binding referendum. It means that it will, it will, it'll be so binding that the Privy Council can't even go against it because it'll be the law of the land. Okay, so a referendum, what is the only answer to the resumption of hanging in the country? The law of the land was, um, then they brought in the, um, what, I forgot what was the Hanging? Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
It'll come to me. Okay, when it comes, just let me know. Judges tend to be overly cautious anyway. They're not going anywhere near that. They can give someone maybe seven years or something like that. Right, right. That's like the maximum they're giving now. They're not even saying, well, 20 years or life partly. God, is this rule? Yeah, well, we'll see what they're saying about that is that was a non-binding referendum. You see, that was non-binding. You see, in fact, they're saying that it wasn't even a referendum. They're saying it was an opinion poll. They should have. You see, but that's how the way the politics can go. The politicians go around and twist words and just swing people. Okay, over and over again, they, they do that. That's what, that's what they do to get what they want. Uh, but again, the point is, uh, we're going to continue to have people who show no, no heart of repentance simply because they were disobedient during their entire lives, and all that disobedience build up, and it affects the heart. So there's no repentance in the heart later in life. And so that's one of the things that uh, we learn from Solomon's that his life teaches us. Well, also, it teaches us that it doesn't mean much just knowing what actions are required of us if we fail to act on that knowledge. Okay, if you know what is right and you fail to do it, the Bible says that. The Bible says if you know what to do is right and you do not do it, it is sin. Specifically, clearly. Okay, so what, those are some of the things that we learned from Solomon's life. Um, and, uh, and a whole lot more. That's only some of the things that we can learn. But here's the application then for us. As we close, because our time is just about gone. Any satisfaction we find in the opportunities and successes this life offers is brief. Remember that. Any satisfaction that we find from the opportunities and whatever success we gain or acquire or achieve in this life is going to be short. It's going to be temporary. It's not going to be long-lasting. Okay, because our lives are brief. The greater our expectations are for permanent success, the more rapidly they just vanish away. Okay, so the quicker you can get, the greater your expectations to get permanent success, just as quick it vanishes, it disappears. Make sure you balance your pursuit of the possibilities life offers with dependable completion of your responsibilities. Solomon had a problem with responsibilities. He loved the potential that the life of wisdom that he, that he had gave him, but he was short on being responsible with the wisdom that God gave him. And so that's a lesson that we need to learn from Solomon. Let's not get all hyped up by the potential that wisdom gives us, but also remember that with that wisdom comes a tremendous responsibility, greater more so than if we didn't have it. Amen? Okay, we can stop there because our time is gone. When we come back, we're going to look at Daniel.